previously in the R2AK Daily Fix by Boldly Went. But a lot of the unseen color for those of you who aren't here comes from the communities it floats by along the way. And to see all these people lining the shores is just makes me feel that Tacoma pride that Tacoma's getting behind this great event. And went down to harass them and I kind of made a friendship. Bella Bella is a great spot with amazing individuals. They have a huge connection to their roots, to their native, and like you have to respect that because look at these islands, right? Imagine living here 10,000 years ago, right, with nothing. When we showed up at this dock, jumped off soaking wet and carrying broken pieces of rudder, everybody up and down the dock already knew what happened. I bought them a box of cookies. <laughs> if you're a boat fan listening to this, you're probably wondering why the hell we haven't talked more about the race boats themselves. I know, because that's all anyone around this race ever wants to talk about. It's legitimate, though. How in the world, for instance, did a Hawaiian racing canoe end up in a cold water race competing against a boat made in 1903 and a bunch of high-tech trimarans? You've convinced us to cave. Join us next time, June 20th. Welcome back to the R2AK Daily Fix by Boldly Went. I'm Angel Mathis, and I'm the regular host of the Boldly Went podcast. I'm thrilled to have been covering the race to Alaska for you in this 14-part podcast following the 750-mile race to Alaska. This is episode 9 of 14 that chronicles the quest to win $10,000 in a non-motorized, unsupported boat race through the iconic Inside Passage. At the time of recording, we're more than two weeks into the race. If you're a true fan, you're probably wondering why we haven't spent more time in this podcast talking about the actual boats in the race. Well, to be completely honest, like everyone involved with organizing R2AK, we're basically a bunch of defiant teenagers at heart. All anyone around the race talks about are their boats, so we've been refusing to do it. But you win! In this episode, we're finally cracking, and we'll focus on the ridiculously diverse variety of boats in this race. Don't take this as a sign that we think your boat obsession is healthy or acceptable, but we do have to admit that the boats are one of the key things that makes this race interesting. We've been told that one of the most common suggestions from fans is for this race to award prizes to boats in different categories to make the race more fair. We've also been told by the powers that be that there is a fat chance of that ever happening. Still, brains do better with categories, so for the sake of this episode, we humbly submit to you for your consideration the following four categories. 1. The Fast and the Furious. 2. The Homemade. 3. The Eccentric. and 4. The Intrepid. Throughout the rest of this episode, these are the categories we'll be discussing. Ready about? All hands. First up, the Fast and the Furious. One of the things that makes this race so interesting is that, for teams that want to win, the race to Alaska is not an easy equation to solve. For the first three years of the race, it seemed clear that the front of the pack was multi-hull territory because, over the first three years, the winners were either catamarans or trimarans. 
But then in 2018, last year, Team Sail Like a Girl won the whole thing in a Melgis 32 monohull. And in 2019, four of the first five finishers were monohulls, with Team Angry Beaver winning in a slick, high-tech keelboat with a nice two-person pedal drive. Here's Mats and Maddie from their team talking about their boat. The thing that I thought about your boat yesterday when we arrived was, what is this boat? It looks like it's been in a car crash and then repainted <laughs> because it's got this matte paint on the side. The, the sail to me looks like a little bit like a wrinkly trash bag. And so I was looking at that and I was talking to your neighbors and they were like, oh, you don't know how to look at boats, do you? And the truth is, no, I don't. And he told me that I needed to ask you about this boat and ask you why it's so fast. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so the boat's a Shock 40, designed and built by Tom Shock down in Newport Beach, California in 2000. The boat was originally designed in 1995. And what makes the, the Shock 40 special not just one, but the 10 that they built where they have Canton keels. And so the keel, it's a, there's a hunk of lead at the bottom of the fin in the middle of the boat that is 2,200 pounds of lead and it swings out 60 degrees to either side. And the other thing that makes this boat kind of unique is it has two rudders. And when you hear of a boat that has two rudders, generally you think of two rudders on the back of the boat side by side. And this boat is quite different. It has a rudder in the back and a rudder up in the front. And so it was designed off of a Tom Blackhaller America's Cup back in, I think, the early 80s. I'm not 100% sure on that one, so don't quote me. <laughs> and this boat, this is hull number seven of 10, and I believe there's only, I think, a total of six left in the world. So it's kind of a far and few boat between everything else, and it makes it interesting for someone like myself because I'm a very mechanical-oriented person when it comes to sailing and trying to figure out systems along the way and how to optimize the boat to go as fast as possible. This is a total side note, but I can't believe I keep having to say angry beaver in public. This would never happen at the America's Cup. I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking it too, but here's how they explain their team name. So we sign up for registration for R2AK closed April 30th, which I believe was a Monday. And we all meet at a bar in Greenwood in Seattle. And I'll reveal the name in a little bit. But uh, we're all there and writing our bios and everything and having some beers, having a good time. And we're trying to figure out a team name. And we come out with a handful of different names that sound okay or sound lame. And, and you know, we're at this hockey bar and Greenwood and it's called the Angry Bar Hockey Bar. Angry Beaver Hockey Bar. And so we just decided to go with Team Angry Beavers and at a bar and they gave us a couple shirts and hoodies and stuff to help us out and some free coconut. But yeah, it's funny, you know, they filling out the form and everything, they were asking for sponsorship and everything, and we gave very, very little information because we hit the submit button at eleven fifty five PM and registration closed at so it was pretty, you know, entertaining. And then they, you know, Daniel and and uh, Jake write these pretty entertaining bio. And then they see all of our resumes a couple weeks later, and they're like, "Oh, these guys are semi-legit." And it was pretty entertaining. I got I got a bunch of phone calls from friends across the country and over and overseas, and they're like, 
who writes this stuff? This is great to read. <laughs> <laughs> that was very fun. So, Jake and uh, Daniel do a good job writing. Uh huh. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, they're great. So, did you mark down then that the Angry Beaver Bar was your sponsor? Uh, no. Oh. We actually had Victoria's Secrets as our sponsor to originally <laughs> thing with. Yeah. yeah. I haven't received anything yet. Getting into the adventure racing scene. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> Might become our secret weapon. Well, yeah. right, <laughs> we'll get a nice photo at some point along the race, and we'll frame it and take it into the say thanks. For, thanks of for you sponsor. wearing Victoria's Secret. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I can see it. Or it's gonna look great. The, te- the beaver, you know, the teenager beaver. We'll take a photo of the boat with all of us on it. Mm-hmm. Put it at the bar there. Yeah. The bar. Perfect. Perfect. So. Awesome. Team Angry Beaver was crewed by a world-class group of sailors, but so were a lot of other boats. At the beginning of the 2019 race, word on the dock was that Team Pear-Shaped Racing, a crew with an amazing resume and an expensive custom racing trimaran, was a favorite to win, and that no one was likely to beat them if their boat held up. Here's Tom Kasberg from their team talking about their boat in Victoria. So the other thing I want to know is when you leave from here, it looks like the forecast is like not for a lot of wind. And I see that you're in a boat that has three legs and some sails. Yep. And so can you describe in boating terms what kind of boat you have? Sure, yeah. We have a, it's a 34-foot trimaran. So it's sort of optimized for racing, though. It's not really a cruising boat. So it has a very small down below, but it's a very quick, fast boat. Should should be, you know, something that should get us, hopefully, to catch a count pretty quickly. And, you know, it's technical to sail. It has a lot of interesting features. The mast actually moves side to side. We have something called sea foils, which help with the balance of the boat and help create less wetted surface area. So it's a very technical boat sail, but a lot of fun too, very fast. So if there's not a lot of wind, is that a problem for you? I think it's a challenge for all of the racers, but for us, if there's zero wind, you know, we have one pedal station, some other boats maybe will be faster than us um, if there's very light or zero wind. But I think for the course of the race, hopefully we'll have some light periods of light air but, you know, I'm hopeful that there'll be plenty of other times where, you know, there's more wind and then that's the, where our boat would shine more when there's, when there's breeze. So we're not, yeah, on a super light air day, you know, that's not great for us. We're okay. So we'll see. Do you have a pedal drive on yours like so many of the other boats around? Yeah, we do. We can sort of see it on the back. It's a single seat that sits on the middle hull and you flip that piece down and there's a propeller so it's a it's basically a single person pedal drive mm-hmm. that's why i was saying some boats have maybe two or even four pedal drive but our boat's pretty light so we can do two and a half three knots just with no wind you know if it's fairly calm mm-hmm. with that setup so pear-shaped ran in first for much of the race and part of the story about why they fell off in the end was that they hit multiple logs that damaged their electronics and shook up their team A lot of the challenge of the race is that the course is unforgiving and the conditions are unpredictable and can vary significantly from year to year. So it's hard to strike the correct balance between speed and durability. Another major factor in this year's monohull domination was that one of the multi-hull frontrunners, Team Given the Horns, snapped a rudder, which knocked them out of the lead pack at Bella Bella, a point when they had a strong chance of winning. By the way, they didn't give up. They responded solidly in the R2AK spirit by building a new rudder out of plywood and continuing on. 
Listeners will remember that story from the June 18th episode. Multi-hulls weren't the only types of boats to experience issues at the front of the pack. Conditions were harsh, and last year's winner, Team Sail Like a Girl, dropped from third place into fourth near the end of this year's race, in part because they broached so hard that they bent a spreader. That means their boat slammed sideways into the water so hard that it bent a big, important hunk of metal on the mast. Still, with monohulls winning the race this year and last, and multi-hulls winning the race the previous three years, it remains unclear what type of boat is the best choice for winning the race to Alaska. Race to Alaska, if you don't already know, and if we've somehow neglected to say, does not allow any motor to be on board the boat. If your boat has a motor, you must have it physically removed to participate in the race. This means that the R2AK is really at the forefront of driving non-motorized boat propulsion technology. Natalie Criu and Tange de Lamotte from Team Shut Up and Drive pulled out a third place finish, and here they are describing their system. On the back of the boat, you have four bikes. They are actually sideways to the direction of the boat, and that's because the boat is very wide, but it's not very long. And these four bikes are basically driving two propellers. And the propellers and the bikes form our human propulsion system. How big are the propellers? I am actually not entirely sure. I want to say... Two, two, foot, uh, two feet uh, diameter. So pretty big and they can retract obviously when we are sailing like today most of the day was sailing because we had a lot of good wind and so we can put them up and so it doesn't drag in the water and then when there's no wind we we put them down is there ever a time where you would pedal and sail at the same time or is that just ridiculous uh, very few few very small small amount of time because when you start going with the sail uh, the, the drive doesn't help it just spins so it doesn't bring any extra speed. There's very limited times where actually, because we can do three knots with maybe three and a half with the, the bikes. And as soon as there's four knots of breeze, we can do uh, the same amount without the bikes. So it's kind of quite a clear cut for us, but we've, we've tried with the main cell and the bikes, but mostly it's not a big gain. And, and there's a lot of energy, it's a big cost. There's a lot of energy in just, you know, human energy. and. So as soon as we can save that energy, we will do that. You mentioned your boat can get up to three, three and a half knots with the bikes. Is that what other people are getting, do you think? Or is that high? I think the figures are not very precise. (laughs) So everybody hopes to be able to do maybe beat some current at four knots if it's for a short amount of time. We've done this in the bay, practicing around corners and trying to beat the tide which we managed and uh, now it's race mode so we have even more motivation i think maybe uh, i don't know the trimarans have maybe uh, lighter systems maybe uh, just one bike and they are so much lighter so they can go probably uh, just as fast but i don't know the numbers of the trimarans really i was i was told that jungle kitty could do uh, four to five knots so that might be the fastest that we have So we may not be able to recommend a monohaul over a multi-haul, or vice versa, but one thing is for certain, a pedal drive is pretty much mandatory. It's interesting to talk about which boat is fastest and why, but for us at Boldly Went, we prefer championing the adventures with the best stories. 
So in the rest of this episode, I'll share the heart of this race, and that's the boats in the other categories, homemade, eccentric, and intrepid. For a significant number of people, the process of building or customizing their own boat and figuring out how to get it to Ketchikan has made this event more of an ongoing life project than a race. There were multiple boats in this category, including Team Salvi, who we spoke with briefly in Port Townsend. I am here with, you said your name is? Stina Booth. Stina Booth, and Stina is sitting, filling water bottles in front of a really small boat. What are you, uh, what are you taking to Alaska? Uh, it's a 20-foot fairing. It's based on an old Norwegian design. It's a modern boat, and it's really small. It is really small. And where are you guys from? Where'd you bring the boat from? My brother lives in Boise, and he bought the boat and retrofitted it there. I live in Twisp, and we both grew up on Puget Sound. Due to the engineless nature of the race, customization and repurposing are standard practice. We found out a bit of funny history when we pulled alongside Team Whip, whose boat was previously moored on a busy urban lake in Seattle and turned out to be a retired champion. Hey, yo, can you explain the ducks on your boom? Yeah, this boat used to be raced on the Lake Union. Uh-huh, and did what? People, people want to know. I don't know. It's just fast. It's like, I won't say the name of the boat before I got it, but it, it did pretty good. It did pretty good? Yeah. Is that all right if I tell him a little bit? Sure. So it's the Duck Dodge is what he's talking about. And, you know, it came, it's a race in Lake Union. It started with a bunch of people like to, you know, maybe hang out and drink a little bit. But the key of the race was is that any time you disturbed a duck, you would have to spin a 360. And so it looks like it was quite the champion in the Duck Dodge. Very admirable, notable wins. Nicely done. We even have a black duck, which apparently is for like something funny happening. Or who knows what? <laughs> yeah, I don't actually remember. Hey, uh, someone, a fan watching just said that the black duck is for naughty behavior. Ooh. Yeah, there you go. That's nice. <laughs> Repurposing is great and all, but the hardcore DIY racers build their own boats. Maybe no one on a self-constructed boat was more endearing than Doug Shoup on Team Perseverance, who we talked to in the June 9th episode of this podcast. In his second attempt at the race, he made it past the proving grounds, but wasn't able to continue. Here he describes his boat and process. Yeah, I just finished the boat. I was literally finishing the boat up on Friday, but I had actually talked to Dan Evans prior to coming over and was to the point of switching boats to one of my tandem islands or my adventure island, and I was approved for it, and then afterwards, I just really felt that I had put so much effort into this that there was no way I wasn't bringing it, so I had a very long day on Friday, just going down the list of all the things I had to finish up, and got it over here, and wanted to do the proving ground, but just didn't feel with my experience on the boat, uh, that'd be prudent to go much further in it. Doug just didn't feel it would be prudent to go much further, so he threw in the towel at the end of stage one after breaking his centerboard in half. There's just something special about building your own boat, and even though Doug had the feeling he'd be more likely to make it to catch a can in a different craft, he couldn't abandon the boat he had poured his time and energy into. Stuart Sugden from Bella Bella, the town that was featured in the last episode and that you might remember as the place that helped Team Given the Horns repair their rudder, Stuart built his Tri-Raid 560S too. 
Um, I built the boat actually in the workplace, in the basement. So when I would run away at lunchtime, they would hear the sanders start and the drills and things. So they were involved whether they wanted to be or not. <laughs> um, and the sawdust would float up the, up the corridor. But lots of people have helped because manipulating work so you can get things done that was a real push to get it built and lots of little ways everyone's helping and encouraging and I go to set it up for the first time people appear hey do you need a hand that sort of stuff you know so there's lots and lots of people that make it possible yeah in Stewart's case building his boat became a community effort also in Stewart's case when he stopped through his hometown in Bella Bella he phoned in his DNF in return for staying home where it was way more comfy a team that bridges the gap between homemade and our next category of boat, the eccentric, is a team we've introduced you to before. Team Ziska sail like a Luddite. A side note here, we anticipate some blowback from you boat nerds because we're calling boats like Ziska and Holopuni, who I'll get to in just a second, eccentric. We get that both boats are very traditional in style. In this race, they fit into our eccentric category because they are receiving a lot of attention for standing out from the crowd. Also, reminder to those of you who feel your temperatures rising, we totally made up these categories for the sake of this podcast. If you're familiar with the 2019 race, you'll know that Team Ziska Sail Like a Luddite is without a doubt the most photographed boat. For good reason, because Ziska is a beautifully refurbished wooden boat originally built in 1903, a monohull Lancashire Nobby, the name itself is enough to get into the eccentric category. We spoke with crew member Odin Smith, the youngest person ever to enter R2AK, along with Jay Galloway and Benjamin Gefkin about their boat. She was originally built as a racing yacht in 1903 in England by a couple of brothers who were building prawning boats that were basically the same design except for more like working and they were so sought after because they were fast enough to work against the tides and stuff so they decided to make a racing yacht and so it raced for a while and then in the 90s someone traded like a little 21 foot boat for Ziska. He was 19 years old. He did all the restoration on her and then sailed her, I think it was, was it 25,000 miles around the Atlantic, single-handing Ziska, which is pretty crazy. And so one thing that stands out about this boat is that there are so many more lines than on other boats. So describe how that might make it a little different to handle than what other people are dealing with. So one thing that's difficult is it looks really beautiful and looks really traditional, but that also means we don't have color-coded lines. So all of the lines look like traditional fiber lines. They're not actually made out of traditional materials, but they look traditional, and they're all the same color, and most of them are the same size. So it's hard to tell them apart. You need to learn where they are located, and you need to remember to put them back in the right place. And if you don't do that, it's hard to tell exactly what line you're working with. And so that seems like a challenge that you have that other boats here don't have. Are there other challenges that you think you have that maybe will make it a little bit more difficult for you to reach the inside passage? Well, we're a gaff rig, so we can't point as high as most of the other boats. And also 
our kinetic propulsion is two sweeping or or two sweeps which are just big old oars that don't move us very quickly and then one Chinese sculling oar called a Yulo and we can steadily do about half a knot with just the two sweeps and so our manual propulsion isn't that great but under sail power we're going to try to even very in very light winds we can do like two knots in almost no wind we can do two knots when we first got out of the harbor the night before the race at like 11 and it was blowing a gale and we set our sails or we set just a reefed staysail and i watched our speedometer hit six knots with just a reefed staysail so like very little sail area and i was just like siska's awesome and since then i've just fallen in love with her the boat is beautiful and also the biggest boat to enter the race to alaska in the history of the event to this point they have been moving right along through some of the most challenging parts of the course by all indicators they'll make it to ketchikan for jay getting to ketchikan is when the fun really begins because that's when he'll turn around and sail ziska back to washington along the outside of vancouver island Some of the best anecdotes from R2AK 2019 come from watching the big boats like Ziska compete with the tiny boats like Holopuni. Team Holopuni is a Hawaiian outrigger canoe with three cockpits, front, middle, and back, each seating one person. The story of how this photogenic warm water craft ended up in the cold waters of the Pacific Northwest is pretty remarkable and involves a legend of Hawaiian sailing. Here's Chris Fagan telling the story. I'm Chris Fagan and our team is Team Holopuni and my teammates are Marty Fagan and Danny Giger. So where are you guys from? We are from North Bend, Washington and Danny's from West Seattle. And just briefly, because all you guys seem to like want to talk about your boat all day, but what kind of boat are you taking? Just briefly. (laughs) In layman's Uh, terms. That's hilarious. We are bringing an outrigger sailing canoe. So picture like a a three-seater big outrigger canoe and then it has two amas and then some tramps that you can sit on so and then connected to that is like a big sail so i always think it looks like a like a big giant swan trying to take off cool yeah it's pretty sweet looking boat if you've ever seen it's like a hawaiian boat if you've ever seen on tv hawaiian sailing races this seems to be the thing that they're always in it's it's kind of like Looks like an indie car, only it's a boat. <laughs> it's like an indie car. It wants to go fast. Yeah. This boat wants to go fast. It's the first time this race has seen this particular kind of boat. They've had a Hawaiian just canoe that was a six-seater, but it wasn't an outrigger sailing canoe. And uh, so it's exciting to have this Hawaiian boat make its way to the north west and go through the inside passage yeah we'll see if it's up to the task i feel like i feel like you're gonna get there but one of the things i want to give a shout out is to the um the guy who designed this boat his name is nick beck he's 81 years old now he this is like the third iteration of this boat and he wanted to create a boat that he could take from island to island he lives in Kauai, and so he just had people help him you know design this boat and so when we called him and we said that boat looks perfect for this race how can we get one is there some a used one somewhere and he said you know there's not that many made and they're only being made in small numbers in in new zealand and tahiti and we're like "Uh uh-oh you know here's the name of a couple people who own them in the u.s 
only two people, right? And no, they don't want to sell theirs. And so Marty built this like relationship with him over six weeks of back and forth phone conversations. And the more Nick got to know us, the more he's like, I really like you guys. You know, you kind of have the spirit of this boat. I'm going to sell you my personal boat. And we're like, whoa, he's going to sell us his boat. And so that's what he did. And he literally opened his life up to us. Come on over to Kauai, stay with us for five days and I'll show you how to put it together and what to do with it. And so we've been told by people in Hawaii and also other paddlers that when you get a boat from that person, you it carries their spirit in it. And Nick Beck is a living legend in Kauai and in Hawaii and in circles who do, anybody who does this kind of outrigger canoes of any kind, and so it's really neat. We feel like this bond and connection also to the Hawaiian population of paddlers that we have never been a part of. And suddenly we're like representing them, you know, so we're like, we feel a little bit of pressure, but it also is a really, really neat experience because it's not about winning to them. It's about the spirit of travel on water to unknown destinations. And Holopuni means to sail everywhere. And, you know, I love the idea that we're, we're in a boat that can sail anywhere. So. Yeah, and you are, you are taking it in a place it's probably never been. The fact that a boat designed and previously owned by Nick Beck, a Hawaiian sailing legend, is in the race to Alaska really captures the spirit of this event. While racing a Hawaiian outrigger in this race might not be immediately intuitive, the reason that the team picked this boat also gets right to the heart of what the R2AK is all about. It's pure adventure. One of the things we talk about is we could have gotten Danny to get a, a sailboat, a big sailboat. Yep. He's had tons of sailing experience and it would have been fun and it, but it would have been a sure thing. Like we can do that because, you know, he totally knows how to do it. It'd be, new, it'd be new for us to learn all the things, but we would get there. This, this is not a sure thing. We feel confident, but, you know, it's, a, it's an unsure kind of event and that makes it exciting. Let me attempt to paint the strange but common scene that unfolds during R2AK using these two eccentric boats. Ziska, a massive 12-ton traditional gaff-rigged cutter with solid wooden spars hoisted with wooden blocks and three-strand rope is sailing along, at times neck and neck with Holopuni. When seeing them positioned next to each other, Ziska looms over Holopuni and makes it look like a tiny speck. It's actually humorous when you realize they are racing each other. It's even funnier that Halapuni is considered the favorite in this face-off. Until they weren't. Team Halapuni ended their race on June 17th after a mayday call and a good old-fashioned Canadian Coast Guard rescue. They're safe and we'll share more in a future episode. Chris and Marty's lack of certainty about whether they would finish brings us right to our final category of boat, the Intrepid. Boats in this group only enter with a goal to learn what they're actually capable of, not really a goal to win. No team is ever guaranteed a finish in this race on any given year, but some people choose to push the degree of difficulty as far as they possibly can. These teams are our favorite, so if you've been listening, you've been introduced to several of them already, including Pax and Thor from Team Funky Dory. Swampscut Dory, built in 1978 by David Jackson in Anacortes. We found it in the bushes down on the border with Washington and Oregon, right by the Columbia River. It had been there for about 10 years, had some pretty serious splits and damage to various little bits here and there. Centerboard was all messed up and we 
spent, I think we have around a thousand hours into restoring, modifying, and fixing it now. We've been trying to work with as many people as possible because for two reasons, we're no expert in wooden boats. And the other reason being that we believe the more people involved, the better off the end product, product will be. They're the smallest boat still in the race and probably the most impractical. We'll keep you up to date on how the rest of their trip pans out in future episodes. You may also remember Nigel Davies from Team Hobie One Kenobi from our first episode, who we can't help but mention as one of the most intrepid people to enter the race, which in this crowd is saying something. Uh, this is a Hobie Adventure Island. Comes with the main hull, two outriggers. You can sail it, you can pedal drive it, or you can paddle it. Is this a standard setup or did you uh, do some customization here? That is straight out of the box. What you see is what you can buy. Yep, nothing special about it. Nice. And is this a new boat? It looks, it looks Yeah, this, shiny, this so. one is a new boat. Yeah, it's only about five months old. Yeah. Okay, so I'm looking at it. People who are listening aren't. Could you just describe, like, how long is your boat? What is this thing? It's 16 foot four. It's a sit on top, basically a sit on top kayak that you can use a pedal drive rather than a paddle. So uh, the pedals work like a set of penguin fins and they go from side to side and they propel the boat with your legs so you can you can fish with it and still be still be still be moving yep. so, so your boat swam here like a penguin it it's swam gone. here like a penguin it did it, it stopped and ate three fish on the way and uh, it caught itself a seagull nice yeah and is that is that a stock that's a stock sail and everything too? that is from a stock stock sail self-furling sail everything is dead stock the uh, the trampoline is stock you just buy that as an accessory yep. I'm sad to report that Nigel withdrew from the race south of Johnstone Narrows, a particularly treacherous part of the course. We haven't had a chance to speak with him directly yet, so I'm not entirely sure about the reason, but I assume it's because he's smart. A team that's still in it this year that absolutely deserves to be mentioned in this category are Team Backward AF, who were the only human-powered craft making it past the first stage across the Strait of Juan de Fuca in a 21-foot rowboat. This whole race, the tracker is showing that they could have also taken the name Consistent AF as they continue to make steady northward progress. This year, the race was particularly hard on intrepid entrants, and a large number never managed to get out of Port Townsend. There were multiple SUP entrants, small sailboats, and kayaks whose races ended before they ever started due to high winds and rough seas. Of the craft that did attempt to cross the strait, several were blown off course and never recovered, including the race's most appropriately named team, Team Old Fart in a Windstorm. Team Oracle made it across in their two-man kayak, but they missed the stage one cutoff time and received a DNF designation. That stands for did not finish. And that outraged the R2AK fan base. If you aren't a longtime follower of the race, it might seem crazy that people attempt it in these types of craft. For some perspective, no one we've mentioned was attempting to do something for the first time, though. The first year of the race, 2015, Team Boatyard Boys finished in a Swampscut dory, which looks like a wooden rowboat from Girl Scout camp, but with a trapezoidal sail attached. That's a similar boat, or the same boat, to what Funky Dory has. Also, in 2015, Roger Mann finished on a Hobie Adventure Island. Carl Kruger paddled the whole way on a SUP in 2017, and Team Oracle, the team that DNF'd, already has a kayak finish under their belt along with many others. In the race to Alaska, as in life, if it can be done at some point, it probably will be done. I admit it, 
These boats are interesting, and there are dozens more that are worth talking about. The R2AK keeps it weird when it comes to watercraft, and there's plenty to keep you boat nerds talking at least until the 2020 race. You can dig into more about the teams and their boats on r2ak.com, because I just don't have enough time to go into all the details here. A big goal in this podcast has been to understand why. Why would anyone want to do this? We will never fully answer that question in a way that makes any sense, but in the next episode, we will talk about one of the reasons that racers have mentioned. They're doing it for a cause. We also want to know what happened to Team Oracle. How are they feeling about their DNF? And how did the decision to cut them affect the race boss, Daniel Evans? Join us next time, June 22nd. That's it for today's R2AK Daily Fix by Boldly Went. Huge thanks to Race to Alaska for bringing this crazy adventure into the world and all the crazy adventurers who are trying it and who are fodder for this podcast. Other thanks for this podcast are attributed to Uncruise Northwest Maritime Center, Team Pear Shaped, Chris Cochran, 10.6M Custom, Team Angry Beaver, Shock 40, Team Salvi, Modern Norwegian Fairing, Team Whip, San Juan 30, Team Perseverance, Sailing Angus Row Cruiser, Team Ziska, Sail Like a Luddite, Lancashire Nobby, Team Holopuni, Hawaiian Outrigger Sailing Canoe, Team Funky Dory, Swampskit Dory, Team Hobie One Kenobi, Hobie Adventure Island, Team Oracle, Seaward Passat, G3 Tandem. Michaela Elias, audio editor and production assistant. Tim Mathis, lead writer. Episode production by Boldly Went. Also, two ducks, beavers, eccentrics, bushes by the Columbia, Hawaiian sailing legends, real adventure, boat nerds, and all kinds of non-motorized boats. If you're still listening, thanks. Get all the daily details about the race to Alaska at r2ak.com. Get additional R2AK content and reporting from our website or link to the regular weekly Boldly Went podcast featuring the brief and true adventure stories by outdoorists of all kinds at boldlywentadventures.com. Follow us both on Instagram and Facebook at Race to Alaska and at Boldly Went Adventures. I'm Angel Mathis, proudly bringing you this podcast from the finish line in Ketchikan with the race to Alaska. Ignite your adventure. What are the things that you're concerned about? What are the things you're worried about? Like... Small ass boat. <laughs> <laughs> Small ass boat, big ass water. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the primary concern. Yeah. Um.